G'day sports fans and welcome to Dead Set Blocking Legends. I'm Luke and uh, you've tuned into episode two of this Australian Blood Bowl podcast. Hey, I've got to say before we get in intros that uh, we're pretty lucky in Australia. We, uh, we're particularly lucky in the community that we've got here uh, in Australia of coaches who play this beautiful game. Uh, and that is been particularly pertinent to us this week because we have our first guest legend joining us today. Uh, but we'll cross to him in a minute. Uh, before we do that, let me welcome my fellow co-hosts, James and Johnny. G'day, uh, listeners. Uh, thanks for having us again. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, appreciate all the feedback that you had from episode one. Hopefully we can take it on board uh, and we can yeah put some good content together for you to listen to. So tune in for episode two. And to my right, our special guest tonight is um, Liam. Liam, do you want to introduce yourself and say hello to the audience? Hello, everyone. I'm Liam, or Nubs11, as you may know me if you only know me online. Uh, I've been playing Blood Bowl for probably when did I, probably 10 years now, because probably started when uh, in year 12, year 11, and I've been out of high school for about 10 years now. So I've been playing, love it, love tabletop. Been playing online a lot more as well, so yeah, it's been good. Thanks for having me, guys. And yeah. you and you're pretty good at it as well, aren't you? I'm okay. I you can always be better. I'm all right. I hear you're better than okay. <laughs> I hear you might even produce some content yourself. Yes, on Twitch mostly and YouTube. I usually just rip the stuff that I do on uh, Twitch and put it on. No YouTube shame. Give it a plug. People. Yeah, where do we find you? Give it a plug. Oh, yeah, so you can find me on uh, Twitch.tv forward slash Nubs Eleven, and my YouTube is Nubs BB. Nubs 11 BB, I think. Uh, and is that Fumble or BB2? or uh, P- BB2. Uh, for whatever reason, I just never took to the Fumble uh, interface. But <laughs> no, BB2, it's I don't know. It's just sideways. So yeah, it's I just think, wrong. I think I that like could it. be what it is. <laughs> you yeah. taught me how it's to play yeah, sideways. <laughs> so, and I like pretty things. Blood Bowl 2 is pretty, if uh, is pretty. not anything else. So, yeah, you can find me online. I usually stream all of my league games that I play, and every now and again I'll just stream a random game. So, yeah. Come and check it out. And you are, you are Victorian royalty. I must admit, <laughs> twenty nineteen. For those of you who don't know, uh, Liam was the inaugural Vic Masters champion. Tell us about Vic Masters, dude. I was, yeah. So it's a little bit embarrassing when you win the competition that you help set up. Uh, but <laughs> basically, uh, Johnny and I, and probably other people in the uh, scene that I'm probably not giving credit for. Uh, we came up with an idea predominantly to promote attendance at tournaments and we thought it would be a fun little thing to get together and sort of collaborate your tournaments across. We sort of have, I guess, quote-unquote, four Vic major tournaments, that being Gold Crush, Conquest, Mayhem and Big V. And we really wanted to promote attendance at those events, so we thought it would be cool if we tallied up at the end of the year the best results across those four tournaments and crammed mm-hmm. a Vic Master. We also had a couple of other uh, crowns. So we had the Stunty Master, which was the best performing uh, Stunty coach. <laughs> uh, we had Rookie of the Year. We had State Defender. So we had a few other things as well. Mm. But yeah, it was mostly to promote tournament attendance. Uh, but it's also a nice thing to to win, I guess, because it shows that you had a pretty decent year at tournaments. Yeah, pretty and, consistent. And you um, were in charge of the results. So after every tournament, you produced the results. So at the end of it, you won. <laughs> That I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll just put a disclaimer here now. I had a spreadsheet that, uh, shout out to Dazed MW, he helped put it together, and all I did was put some numbers into it, and then Excel did the rest. So <laughs> I never did any counting. <laughs> That's good. And 
it would be worth saying that, in case anyone's wondering, we're missing the fourth member of the team tonight. Indeed. And Robbie, we just got a message from Robbie tonight. He's just had his back surgery and he's just got out of hospital. So he's, I think he's just resting and recuperating now. Yeah. Getting ready for episode three. So Robbie sends his apologies. He wishes you yeah. here. And Thoughts with him. Speedy recovery, Rob. Yeah, if anyone knows Robbie in the... In the scene, he's been suffering all last year with his bad back. Um, I think it was a, a, a weightlifting accident or yeah. something like that. It went went badly wrong, and he's been really Strong suffering. Main competition, uh, <laughs> and then um, he struggles to sit through a whole match. Um, yeah. He has to stand up at some point. So hopefully this will sort him out. Um, maybe while I'm on the mic now, I will start to explain what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so um, first up, we're going to do a regular segment, and we touched on this last episode with the. GW Lizardmen, we're going to do new releases and we're going to talk about a couple of things that are on the market at the moment and then from that we're going to roll into the Big V, which is the last I guess the last tournament in Victoria and the last major tournament um, For last year, not forever Yeah, yeah, that's right <laughs> There will be other tournaments <laughs> The last one for 2019, yeah and um, that was 23rd and 24th of November, so we'll just have a bit of a review on that and that will then um, go nicely into the next segment, which will be Luke talking about his high elf build for that tournament. And then after that, we'll do one of our tactics segments, which we did again last year or last episode. And geez. very popular segment. Yeah, well, the last one was about um, how to kick off, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, the kick off. Kick or receive. Kick or receive. Yeah. And Jim, do you want to just briefly tell us? So. Uh, on this episode of the Huddle, we're going to talk about uh, the Blitz action, uh, maybe give you some points and some tips and just some other things to think about. So hopefully, yeah, it should be a good segment. It is a good segment. I think it's really important. I can't wait to get into this one because you only get one per turn. That's it. Mm, and um, we'll roll off into um, some upcoming tournaments. Yeah, so without further ado, let's um, look at some new releases. I'm going to hold off on the... Games Workshop Ogres for a second, because I don't know if any of you guys are aware of um, Charlie Victor products. I definitely am. And have you seen the new I've, I've had campaign? Yeah. I mean, it, there's been a lot of um, traffic on that, so um, bear with me one second. I will just bring up some notes. Just while we get that up there on the Charlie Victor products, I've got a full set of the coins released before this, and they're probably my favourite piece of Blood Bowl swag, so... Uh, even having those bribe tokens there, I make rosters now just with an extra bribe on there just so I can use those tokens. So they're that good. They really are. Well, the, the latest one is an Indiegogo campaign. So if anyone's not aware of that, it's like a Kickstarter. And um, this one's called Fantasy Football Team for Humans, Tokens for Humans. So it's completely themed towards a human team. I don't know whether he's planning to do one for every team coming up. I guess you'll see how popular this one is. Um, it's got a total of 16 tokens. It's got tokens for every single thing you can imagine. So it's got everything from the kick turn token, received turn token, score, fame, apothecary, wizard. It's got re-rolls. It's got um, a token for the kegs, but which is also a bottle opener, which is actually really nice. That's amazing. It's got um, a stunned band that you put around. No, own headband for the ogre mm-hmm. and it's got all sorts of stretch goals as well like uh, dice cups 
um, dice marts, um, bags for the tokens. It's got a heap of stuff. It's amazing. There's not enough good dice cups out there, if you ask me. Yeah. I, I spend ages looking for one, and I go back to the Yukbo one every time. Yeah. So it'll be cool to see some. Look, it'll be interesting to see. Actually, it's even got a, a miniature in it. It's got a coach, a human coach, and it's got dice, block dice. Be interested to see what the cost is. Um, I've had a little chat to Duncan, and he didn't reveal the cost, but it's I reckon it's going to be touching a hundred Australian dollars. But if you're a human coach and you, you know you're looking for some tokens, I think you're going to be really impressed with the. That's going to be the biggest issue. It's the human team. I mean, if you never play humans, are you going to get it anyway? Would you be tempted? No. <laughs> I, I guess it depends what they look like, though, and whether you can translate some of those things. Like a kick or receive token, I mean, you, or can, a you can use that, a re-roll token. You can use Most that of them are things. fairly generic. Yeah. Some of them have got, like, a, a sort of griffin head. Yeah. And Maybe I, your team has a griffin theme, and you yeah. just like the look of them. The griffins. The griffins, yeah. So that launches on the 21st of January, which could be around about the same day this episode launches. Good so timing. the timing could be perfect, and it's going to run for about good six weeks. So it's not a short campaign. So there's plenty of time for everyone to get in on it. We're we getting any cutbacks for mentioning it on this? Uh, <laughs> we gonna, no, just joking. Thanks, oh, Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> and if, Duncan. if I want to find these tokens, Johnny, how would I find this? How would I find it? So at the moment, the the campaign hasn't started, but when mm-hmm. it does, he's got um, a Facebook page called Charlie Victor Products, and it'll be on Indiegogo.com. And you'd be able to search for um, fantasy football team tokens, um, colon, home humans. They're probably best to follow the Facebook page if you're interested. Yeah, no, he's he's very active on um, on the Blood Bowl community on Facebook. So let's roll into the GW Ogres. They were released just before Christmas, and I think they've been fairly well received. They've been a really popular team, and we have um, modelled... <laughs> For those watching at home. <laughs> and ironically, I said that's only half a box. Um, I split that box with someone. Uh, because yeah. you get four ogres and 12 noblars in one box. Uh, me and another coach, um, Brendan, we split it. So you can get all the ogres. So you'll have six ogres yeah. and 18 noblars. Yeah. But currently, you've only got two ogres. I've only Is got two ogres. I haven't bought that. It's going to be a very weak ogre list. Uh, <laughs> good luck with that one. Low I'm, TV though. <laughs> I'm figuring <laughs> like two twenty or whatever. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and obviously dice. Um, what else has been on sale? The um, the team card back, which I don't think anyone buys. No. And the no. uh, the pitch. I mean, look, I don't know what everyone thinks. I like the pitch, and I'd like to buy it, but it's seventy four Australian. Mm. It's a lot of money for a pitch. Hopefully, when uh, Gray Skirrell picks one up to add to his other twenty GW pitches, <laughs> I'll be happy to have a look at it. But I don't think I'll be buying that one. So, and of course, the Spike Magazine, and which I buy mainly as a tournament organizer and a, a league commissioner. It's nice, just yeah. to um, read up on the rules. And just before we talk about some of the rules, there was a couple of four-year-old miniatures released, and you can't actually get those at the moment. There was the the blister pack. And which contains two female ogres and one noblar, which I don't know if you've seen them. To be honest, some people love them, but I think they're hideous. <laughs> how how expensive are they? AUD? Well, because that's always the issue for Australians and Forge World stuff. It's like, well, put it this way: the team itself costs sixty Australian, 
And Which is reasonable. Yeah, yeah, and the booster costs sixty nine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's an extra nine dollars yeah. for for two, two female two miniatures and a, an extra miniature you don't even really need because you've got so many noblest already. So splitting that for thirty bucks has given me an extra four. Yeah. So I mean, yes, there'll be a little bit of duplication, but and the other Forge World star player was Gloriel Summerbloom, Wood yeah. Elf star player, and yep. look the hair. I really like it. Mm. I'm a Wood Elf player, so I really like it, but I'll never play that. That player. It just seems a bit weird to me that they release a Wood Elf star player when they still haven't finished some of the teams, right? Like, there's no GW Croxagore mini, I don't no. think, for the yeah. new team. And the, But uh, if it had been Jordel, you wouldn't have been complaining. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I still yeah. would have. I just feel like before you put out star players, surely you finish... The core team, mm. right? Like I would have thought. I don't know. I don't just know. Just don't GW's play with the Crocs, schedule, man. Right? Six source and, and skin. <laughs> but there's a couple of other teams ah. that are similar, aren't they? Like orcs or something. They didn't. They haven't released like a blister to finish the orc team. You have to sort of do a similar buy two boxes to flesh it out. I yeah. Think. No, it wasn't the orcs. Um, or was it humans? I thought it was one of those two teams. I'm not sure. Yeah, because I know, know they did a Skaven one, so they yeah. finished the Skaven so you could get the two gutter runners that you were missing, and they gave you a thrower. So now you have three, I think. Or a Blitzer, you have three of one of them. But, yeah, I don't know. It just seems weird to me, releasing star players when you've... Yeah, the Skaven Blitzer got, was a, a Blitzer, a thrower, um, and two gutter runners. Two gu- yeah. So, I believe. Yeah. I've got it, so I should know. The new rules, then, for um, the Ogres. So there has been a, a bit of controversy... Bit of consternation amongst as the, always, and they've been doing this a lot with the stunty teams. Some people think maybe they're trying to balance the stunty teams. GW, this is obviously I'm talking about. Yeah, um, but they did it obviously with the lizards too, in reducing the chameleon, and the two, the two big things were the the runt punter. You have to be really careful how you say that, <laughs> <laughs> and the disposable skill. So, have you guys read up all about? Both of these, you know. Yep. I, c- I yeah. can't remember what the run punter. Uh, it's, it's kick teammate. Not going to affect any part of competitive play in Blood Bowl. It's uh, <laughs> riskier strategy than throw teammate. Yep. And technically, I think you can do both. You can do you both. Can. On that the is same the term. one upside. Yep. Strike and throw and kick. Yeah. Yes. Kick teammate uses the blitz instead of uh, the pass for that action. Okay. So you can't blitz and kick a teammate in the same turn, but. Right. Um, does that mean, I mean, that does like obviously increase your odds of a one-turn touchdown because now you, if need be, you can throw the ball to the nobbler and then kick, kick him. Kick him. So maybe that's sort of the thought process behind it. It's a lot of dice rolls. I also think though, if you think about the way he moves, the the runt that's kicked, how he moves now, the directional template laid on, and then compare it to the goblins, how the doom diver is impacted. Scoring a one turn? Sure. Uh, there's merit there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but you have, if you want six ogres, you have to take a run punter. Yeah. Because so it's zero to five on ogres and zero to one on the run punter. So He's 10k extra, yeah. I think. I think they could have really gone a little bit more creative with it, maybe giving him a skill like kick to go thematically as well as structurally improving the team. I think that that could have gone a long way. But, look, we didn't get it in the end. It's not that big of a deal. No. They could have improved the kick skill even with him. Giving Correct. Him a re, like the additional effect. You don't of, like the kick skill? No, as in for the runt punter, 
kick skill on him could have given him the ability to re-roll. Sure. I I do like the fact that the when you ro- if you roll a double on the run punt, you, you injure the yeah. the knobbler. <laughs> so he kicks him that hard that he just like <laughs> kicks his head off. I think that's nice. And disposable. This is the one that a lot of people have been trying to guess what it means. And I think everyone kind of knows, but um, it isn't particularly clear because, well, for those people who don't know, um, the value of the Noblars doesn't count towards your TV when you purchase the Noblar at the beginning. Not when you purchase yes. them. No, it still costs you 20k, value. but when you're calculating TV, Sorry, yes. it's not adding to your team's value. So, so you still have to buy them 20k, yeah. but it doesn't add to your overall so and would I be correct in saying that if I have uh, five ogres that are all 100k each, that's 500k, and then I have a million uh, worth of noblers, uh, when I go into play against someone, my team value is 500k. Correct. correct. Yeah. To simplify Just it. Just to simplify Ogres it. are 140k, and we all know that. <laughs> <laughs> Just making that Using clear. Using even numbers, yeah. 501 million are even numbers for people. Correct. We, this podcast has got a good... Um, history of dumbing people down when they come on the episode so <laughs> so if you do say the wrong thing it's us it's not you um so but it doesn't make it 100 percent clear in the rules that when you add on extra skills for example if you do happen to get a nobler skill up if if you ever get a nobler skill up it adds on to the tv it doesn't categorically say that in the rules, but that's what everyone's assumed. I, I think it's perfectly fine to assume it that way. I mean, even as it is, if you've got five Noblers on the team, that's 100k off your TV, which, I mean, if you're going to be getting inducements, there's a bribe, there's an apothecary, depending on where you are in development, you might get a re-roll. Or if, you know, you're further lower than your opponent and you've already got a little bit to spend that might allow you to get a better star player. For example, I mean, we see Bertha Big Fist on the list at the moment, but I'm not sure if we're ready to jump into the new stars. Yeah, oh, look. That excites me. The new star. Oh, you're talking about oh, yeah. Mr. Bifford? Yeah, Mr. Bifford. Okay, well, let's talk about him briefly because we probably do need to move on to the next segment. But um, He's worth speaking about because he was actually going to sh- change the status quo yeah. of the competition beforehand. If you had a lot of TV to spend and you went out and get more, he was, he's even more expensive than Bob. So maybe we'll start off with his stats. Mm. Have you got them handy? Um, I th- or, or, the most I importantly, so. I can go off. So he strength six block, break, tackle, multiple block, juggernaut, mighty blow. I mean, for a big guy, those and are, how, how much does he cost me? I think he's 320 mm-hmm. or 380, 380, 380 apologies. Uh, so, I mean, he's 50K cheaper than Morg. He doesn't have the edge, so he can no longer play the ball carrier role. But, I mean, if you've ever had Morg in the past and you're that far down on TV already, it, it almost feels like you're clutching at straws anyway. He's not adding enough to your team uh, to get that value. He gets hit all the time. He gets clawed. He gets chainsawed, all that type of stuff. Where, I mean, Bob, what do you think, Luke? I Break tackle is just... Unbelievable. Amazing. Think about the impact of Ramtut when he breaks tackle mm. and the difference that he can make to a to a game. This is what Bob will offer. And I think, if I remember correctly, he's available to not just the Ogre race. Any team. Any, any team. team. That's cool. That but is super cool. Can I ask you about Morg? <clears throat> if Morg's part of an Ogre team, does he get targeted as much? Probably less likely. 
It's hard to target anyone on an ogre team except <laughs> the nobblers, you know. It's, it's yeah. hard to get at. So, But the one thing to remember, Bob Bifford is a golden era star player. So there is a chance he might not be legal in certain tournaments and leagues. That's down to the tournament organiser or the league commissioner. I, I think everyone should include him. The legacy or, or the golden era is even better. I mean, he's got fluff behind him more than any other star almost. So. And just briefly before we finish up this segment, the slave giant, does anyone have a comment on that or is it just... Y- yet to see it being used. I think it's really cool, but <laughs> I, I, I'm unsure how to think of the complexity that it adds to the game. I, I, I'm a little bit hesitant. I heard someone play with him and say it just stood in the middle of the pitch and couldn't <laughs> move because it was always in a tackle zone because it's got X amount of tackle zones around it at all times. Eight, is it? Ten, I think. Four, four, and two. Um, no, it's just four squares. Oh, sorry. Tackle zones, you're right. Yeah. So sorry. it just stood in the same place the whole time and just, yeah. I mean, someone said it would have been nice if it had a throw teammate, but it could throw anyone. Yeah. Cool. Rather than just the uh, right stuff, you know, it could pick mm. up a an orc or it could pick up a human and just throw them. I'd love to throw a black that orc. Would, that would, that would have been nice. <laughs> That's what's coming next. And just briefly before we finish on the the ogre team, um, they have got a special... Um, a special inducement called um, can anyone remember what it's called where they get extra noblars oh yes they do where you can make your team roster go above 16 yeah it's called yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's amazing riotous rookies mm. yep. so you can get 2d3 plus 1 it costs 100k so if you've rolled really low you could potentially roll 3 so you get 3 noblars for 100k it's expensive, but yes, technically you could have up to then 19, 20 odd players. Yeah, often you need it as ogres, you know. Coming into the second half, you might have five ogres and two noblers on the pitch, and if you had that extra bench, you might might need it. I must confess I've never played <laughs> ogres. I think you can foul with them and not feel as bad as well because you do get to that stage of the game where you're weighing up trying to hurt the other team or am I going to lose too many snotlings to continue the game and be competitive in the second half? So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that particular inducement is used and yeah, the value of it, uh, 2d6. I think we're definitely going to see a few more yeah. ogres being played in the tournaments so. coming up. Definitely leagues as well, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, definitely leagues. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up our discussion on the ogres. And is a nice segue into the next uh, next topic, which was the Big V. Johnny, you're going to speak about this. Did you have many ogres at the Big V? We did have one. Yep. And obviously just before they were released, it was a couple of weeks before they were released because the Big V was on 23rd and 24th of November. And But not only did we have one ogre, we had 24 different teams. Wow. Um out of a total of 28, actually, because we got, had a stunt in the underworld. So I've, instead of the t- the usual 26, I'm counting it as 28, because lizards stunty and lizards and stunty yep. underworld. And so we didn't get four teams in total. Um, does anyone know who they were? I'm not going to make you all guess. That would stunty lizards? <laughs> stunty lizards were one. And Norse, rather surprisingly. Pro-elf? Pro-Elf and last one, one of your favourites? Slam. Slam. Mm, so those are the four teams. So I have 36 coaches. Um, we covered 24 different teams, and which was awesome. Does that That's mean amazing. the teams that didn't get picked get a boost in the next back? Is that 
they'll all be to your five. <laughs> Slan it is. Yeah, Le- just for Le- City. Slan for so yeah. If Slan had been tier three, did I? I bumped him up to tier two. two correct. And um, yeah, controversial. They didn't get chosen. No. So good decision. Yeah. So maybe they'll go back to tier friends. three. <laughs> and so we had really good representation across the board, and that's because well, I like to think it's because. Big V has got the tiering system. And now my sort of mission for the Big V is to try and get that even spread. So we don't have Dark Elves, Undead, Dwarves, Chaos Dwarves. Every single tournament. In fact, we had, I think we had only one. We had two Chaos Dwarf teams. Um, Shame on you, whoever played Chaos Dwarves. (laughs) People seem to take Chaos Dwarves because Dwarves are now so... Taboo. Taboo. They just take Chaos Dwarves and think no one notices. <laughs> so, um, and I've got some interesting stats about the winners. So, um, there was quite an even spread in the top 10. Um, we had a winner of High Elves, which we'll get to shortly. I'll probably let the cat out of the bag there a wee bit. But in the top 10, second was Bretonian, third was Kemri. So that's a couple of tier two and a tier three teams in the first three slots, um, followed by Lizardmen, another Bretonian team, fifth and Chaos Dwarves, humans, Dark Elves, Goblins, and Chaos. So it's not a bad mix for the top ten as well. Absolutely. And you know, in terms of like tier one, there's a lot of tier one teams, and they were popular. There was a lot of tier fours. So out of there were six stunty teams, tier four in this one. So. One goblin, three halflings. Halflings obviously have been very popular since the, the box came out. Mm. An ogre and the stunt the underworld. So um, they were well represented. And <clears throat> so in terms of in terms of the rule set, um, I don't know if any of you guys remember much about it, but yeah, we have a obviously a, an amount of money to buy your team and to buy your skills, and that is tiered depending on the um, what team you choose, and then. It has a similar rule set, I guess, to the the World Cup in that day one has got um, a certain amount of money and then day two for the last two games, you get an extra little bit of money to um, um, improve your players. And Yeah, so... I think to just give my reflection of the tournament in terms of racial diversity, six games against six different races, Mm. it's really refreshing. I mean, sometimes Blood Bowl tournaments can get exhausting, but if every game feels fresh, every game feels a little bit newer, a little bit different, uh, just makes it all that much more enjoyable, a bit easier to get to the end of uh, six games. Yeah, mm. not many tournaments can you go to play six games and not play against Wood Elves twice or Orcs twice or, yeah, Chaos, Dwarves, Dwarves. Orcs are one of those ones that are really badly represented at the Big V tournaments. No one ever really takes them, in, or if they do turn up, they just... Really I've badly. seen some funny orc rosters, a couple of two uh, black orc blockers or, you know, just some three or four goblins on a list type thing. And I mean, it's have fun with it. Why not? It's the curse of the starter box. Yeah, that's when you right. Have, I, 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 think <laughs> if, I think if you look at the stats, the NAF stats of the win rates of uh, orcs, particularly orcs and humans, they're a lot lower than what you expect because traditionally or ordinarily a new player picks up the, bo- yes. the starter box. Oh, I'll play orcs at a tournament. I wonder did they... Drop off after 2016. I don't all think of they a sudden would. If new people are getting into the game, they're still going to buy the box set. They're still going to go Orcs. And like you said, I think there's only two Blitzers in the box set and two Black Orcs. So that's what I'm playing with. That's all I've got. So, yeah. I mean, when I did that in 2016, I just painted the rims. 
Yeah. So I painted four red, yep. four green, so and just said they're black orcs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, what did we all play at the Big V? And I, I took Chaos Pact. Uh, obviously, we talked about it a little bit in episode one. Uh, big parts of my roster were uh, block no wild animal minotaur, which we'll get to talk a little bit later in our next segment during the huddle. Uh, I won't go into too many of my games, but I would really like to thank all my opponents. They were super nice, super lovely, and super challenging. Uh, every single game really felt like it was decided by one or two dice rolls, and if that's you know you can't really get better blood balls than that. So uh, I appreciate absolutely, yeah. Excellent. What was your final? Result. Uh, looking back on it, I had one loss, three draws, and two wins. So not as many in the not as many in the win column as I'd like. Um, but a lot of those results, I really felt like I was holding on to the draws, and the two wins were well, one win I got quite lucky early on, but the other was yeah, winning in the late of the game. So sounds like blood ball. Yeah. Liam, what did you play? Uh, I played Kemri. Uh, my roster was probably... I still think Kemri are the best uh, list in the format. I agree. Yeah, I think Kemri at that TV. At that TV, because they were tier three. So you got a lot of skills. Uh, I probably made my list a little bit different to what other people would have. I didn't have a reroll on my list. So I had leader uh, on the throw on one of the throw rars, and everyone on the team but one Tomb Guardian had either block or wrestle. So really the only thing you were re-rolling was double skulls, and if you're rolling a lot of them, having two re-rolls as opposed to one re-roll probably isn't going to help you a lot. Uh, so I really liked the day one list. I also took an edge-boosted thrower, mm. which was amazing. He bailed me out in one game in particular uh, <laughs> where I had to dodge and, and it, it worked. Were um, you relying on that thrower to stay alive? Uh, Would you have been yeah. in big trouble picking up the ball? Uh, I mean... You're in regular trouble for Kemri if he goes right, like because yep. you're used to trying to pick it up for a four. So if he goes, yes, it is. It does hurt the team a bit, uh, but luckily for me, he's a lot easier to protect than all of your other players, and I was able to protect him pretty well. Didn't suffer any thrown rocks or anything like that. But uh, I think I, I, uh, fuck, oh, are we allowed to swear in the podcast? No, oh, I think I stuffed up my uh, day two skills because. Uh, I should have gone guard and stand firm rather than... Uh, I went three Mighty Blow on Tomb Guardians, and that was unfortunate in that the two opponents I played in Day 2, Mighty Blow didn't matter because they were predominantly Armour 9 teams, uh, <laughs> which is sometimes just the way it goes. But it's also, I think, Mighty Blow, maybe another can of uh, worms and a new segment. I think Mighty Blow is a bit of an overrated skill. That's one of those skills you could do a whole episode on Mighty Blow. Yeah. Some people 100%. love it. So, Online, it's a favourite. It's first skill. If you roll yeah. doubles on any player, doesn't have strength access. It better be a mighty blow. And yeah, so yeah. But uh, so yeah. and you were third. Third, yeah. So I I went undefeated first day. So four wins and then second day uh, a draw and a loss. And probably my favourite game that I played all year. Uh, the second day against uh, Liam C's Lizards. It was probably my favourite game of the year. Which was, was the, the top loss. two? Was that right? That last yeah, game. Yeah, that was no. That was the uh, first game day two. Yeah, right. yeah uh, which which was the loss. But it was yeah. Still, it was one of my favorite games that I played all year. It was really back and forth. And the Liam, winner was Liam going into the grand final. Really obviously. well. Uh, yeah, the winner was going into the grand final unless uh, the top table in the last round drew, 
uh, if I lost, I could still win because I had the four wins. I could still win if the top table drew. And Liam, Liam Coulson's got a big future ahead of him in, he in Blood a, Bowl. He is a really good coach. Yeah. Do you know what? It's not often that I'll sit down uh, at the table and be surprised by what my opponent throws at me or to see a technique or a, a tactic that's new to me. But I can hand on heart say that the way Liam moved the ball in our game, which happened to be that last round, was it was something new to me and something that I took away and will be using in okay. the future. So um, he's a he's a really good coach. That sounds like a future tactics segment. Dis- yeah, absolutely. Dismantling this new um, technique. Absolutely. Never before seen. Unveiled on Dead Set Blocking Legends for the you first know what? I time. C- I could be I could be shooting myself in the foot here, and this could be like a common tactic done by lots of people. <laughs> and I've just made a complete knob of myself. But um, no, he, he he's he is a really good coach. That, Excellent, that guy, and he's challenging to play against. He really is nice. And um, so I played Wood Elves, and I finished up with the same um, results as you, James. Two two wins, three draws, one loss. Um, I lost my last game on the very last turn, um, which was a bit disappointing. But so that would have been a draw. So I've been two wins and four, four draws. As in, your opponent scored, or you? No, they scored in the scored in the last yeah, game. Yeah, okay. it was one. Of the, it was against one of the Bretonian teams. Yeah, the rookie from Dan from South Australia. Yeah, great guy. Great guy, um, good coach. Yeah, for his experience. That was my loss to Dan as well, and probably my favourite game of the tournament. So you know, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, our game was really back and forward. At one point. Um, I had a, a war dancer had a, a two dice block two squares out from his end zone to get the ball off him and hopefully score to seal the win he rolled double skulls um, I don't think I had any re-rolls left he equalised and then he had like a last turn winner at that point my wood elves were a bit low in numbers so uh, Bretonians can move the ball though yeah. surprisingly easily I think he had a nudge four blitzer as well he did yeah, um, so. I, th- I played him as well. I know he's a fan of the show, so I know he'll be listening. And he's coming over to Gold Crush. Outstanding. Oh, awesome. And, yeah, he's, I think him and his mates from South Australia are just going to do road trips. I love they're it. going to go to Yoke Bowl. They're going to go everywhere. That's awesome. So um, I think we should see a few more of those, hopefully in Victoria as well. Yeah. Maybe get one of them on the podcast for an episode. Yeah. yeah let's do that. Well, I think uh, he'll be a future winner at some stage. Definitely. Yeah, no, he's, he's good. He, he, his Bretonian team was a th- one of the top ten team. Yeah, yeah. I think it was f- fifth. It might have been fifth. Yeah, I think that's Well, right. Steve's was the second. Yep. And then, yeah, he was the next one in the top ten. Mm. Top rookie at your tournament. Yes. Mm. No, good player, good player. He is good. And uh, just before we jump into going on to our last roster review or tournament yes. review, do you want to, Johnny, maybe give us some ideas about you want to set up for Big V 2020, I know it's pretty far out now, but... Look, I've already done the survey and got some really good responses and I don't think I'm going to do much to it. It was overwhelmingly people said, look, just leave it. So if anything, I might just do a little tweak or two to the tiers. You've got a new date for that, I believe? Yeah, so it's going to be in August. The actual real date escapes me. Um, <laughs> head over to the website. Yeah, the head over to... Um, the Big V website, Um I think it's the 19th and 20th of August, something like that. Um, I brought it into the middle of the year. To um, I was struggling a little bit with that time of year. Coming into summer, people were doing things, and I just thought we could get more players if we um, bring it into the middle of the year, in the middle of winter. So the theme for the Big V 2020 is winter is coming. 
Nice. So, um, yeah. So the, Does that mean you'll be playing the Godswood Preservation Society again to fit the theme? Yeah. Well, I have been thinking <laughs> about getting winter boards, um, you know, designing winter board. And if people want like a pitch and if people want to chip in and buy one for themselves, they can do. So we'll see. Winter themed dice, that sort of thing. So D- 36 coaches at Big V 2019. Have you got goals for 2020? You want to break 40, 50? Oh, the, the goal always have to, has to be 50. Yep. Mm. Um, but, you know, 29, I think, the last one, 20, the one before that. So we're just gradually building every year. So, you know, let's just let's just beat 40 and then... If we could get a it. couple of interstaters on board, if you listen to this coming from interstate, we'd love to get maybe three or four more interstaters. We, we appreciate Ten. everyone who came down, the Big Woods, uh, definitely, and obviously yeah. Dan and And Bill from Bill. New South Wales and Dan from South Australia. Yeah, that'd be awesome. How I did it last year was every two games, you got extra skills. Skill. So after okay. game two, you got some skills after game four. And that added an extra level of complexity. I don't think we need this time. Right. Um, How did people find the people find the 4-2 split fine? Better? Yeah, look, the responses are... Um, the understeers probably said they probably wouldn't come yep. if it was 3-3. Three and three. Um, Get home a bit earlier. Do go home a bit earlier. I mean, someone said, look, it wouldn't matter, mm. you know, but um, locals, look, it's a bit, some people would like it to be three and three. Some people get, they're just knackered by the end of. Did we have any uh, coaches only participating on the first day? Two. Two. Oh, well, I guess that makes it a bit more enticing for, for coaches that want to do that. They can't get a whole weekend free. Yeah. Yeah. Four and a half games in one day. I, I, I think it's, it's a standard one. And one, one of those guys said, look, if he'd thought about it, he would have gone for both days yeah. it was his very first tournament i think that's why he went for um just one day because he wasn't sure but he had a great time and, and in fact he's going to go crush as well so um we've got someone else hooked on the awesome on the the game which is great and um so we did have a winner and at one point it, it was almost julian um so close it's so but far. um we had a high elf team winning and i think everyone was a bit surprised when you chose high elves in the first place it was the most common question I got the whole weekend. Not, how you going? Not, how you been? <laughs> Not, geez, you're a good looking fella. How do you keep in such good shape? It was, why are you playing high elves? Like, seriously, that was the most common question. Has I anyone got seen weekend. a high elf team in a tournament before? Uh, win a tournament? I, I haven't, no. But I know that there have been some coaches that probably aren't as active now that had very high... Uh, high elf Grump. naming yeah, uh, rating, yeah. So probably won a few tournaments, but not yeah, not that I've been to. They're not overly well um, represented in terms of the NAF. The top NAF rated high elf team in Australia is only about 140. Sorry, 140, 180, I should say. Is that why you chose them? Well, there was a couple of reasons I chose them actually. The first was when we were looking at uh, picking teams. I was actually looking at house packed myself and then james did his review and i thought let's let's get a bit of variety on the show so i, I floated a high off team to, i won't name names but to some mates who may or may not be in the room and the reception i got was atrocious and so that they suck that was, <laughs> well you know what? do you know what um sorry to butt in here no of course but with the um games workshop games workshop release in age of sigmar high elves are coming out they're, you know, they've started releasing some sketches. Everyone's going mad for them because finally proper elves. I don't know if any of you guys are up on your age of Sigmar. All the elves that have come out in the last couple of years have been like 
sea elves or elves with snake tails, that sort of thing. So they're going to release old school elves with pointy hats, mm. pointy spears, pointy ears. I think that's all the, the sort of <laughs> slogans that are going on. Wouldn't surprise me if GW released a high elf team this year. I hope so, because despite what people say, my humble opinion is that they are a really good team. If they released a high elf team with some really nice miniatures, some old school... Pointy hats. Big pointy hats, <laughs> big coats, you know, and I reckon you could see a surge in popularity. Yeah, you, you usually know. do with the release of the GW team, a little bit of a surge. Hmm. Yeah. So, sorry, Luke. That's all right. Carry on with your... Um, well, the other reason else. that I went them is because <clears throat> Vic Masters was in the balance. I was sitting relatively close to the top in Vic Masters, and I wanted to give myself a red hot crack at, at the at the title. So why high elves then? Because I'm comfortable with elves. I'm playing my best blood bowl when I'm playing age four. For, I like the advantage. For those who don't know, who are, who are listening on at home, uh, Luke's quite an accomplished dark elf coach. Uh, if you check out his NAF rating, he's actually third in the country on a 212 and 40th in the world with Dark Elves. Nice. So uh, slightly different, obviously, theme of Elves this time around, but obviously similar success. But it's the same It's the same advantage, more or less, that you get out of the box, which is the age four advantage, the ability yeah. to move the ball, the ability to respond, the ability to never be out of the game. They're, um, not, they're not far away from Dark Elves in terms they're, of they're start lines. Yeah, if you're going to compare them to an elf team, I would suggest that Dark Elves is the closest one to compare them to. And maybe that's why they're not so popular because people toss up between the two and they just go Dark Elves. Because you get the extra block and people are biased towards block. And Which, I understand that. But if you think about, was it not not 2019, 2018, Rabid won Uke Bowl with a slant team that didn't have a block player on it. Seems crazy. So it's not it's not necessarily about those core skills, which are great for your initial learning of the game. But once you've got the basics down pat, you can take a few different strategies. So I'm assuming you're you're basically playing keep you off the whole time. Your players are just dodging out. They're not fighting. They're not blocking. What, what type of offensive strategies did you employ? Offense, I scored quick. I, I didn't want to hold the ball. I didn't wanted to score right. quick. Um, I play a really good example is. Um, against Liam's team, which didn't actually, I didn't actually get the win. That was the one loss that I had for the tournament. But the not the two, this Liam, this Liam, okay, um, this Liam, the one, the touchdown that I threw for that game, I played a feint to buy myself some more time. Rather than scoring two turns, I was able to use my movement to isolate him and then score in three and play the clock a little bit more like that. So yeah, offense was fairly keeping off, but score quickly. Um, but the the team was built. I mean. High elves out of the box. Offense, you could do with your eyes shut. It's not hard. All elf teams. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, a dark elves a little bit more challenging, but um, I, that's um, it's amazing. So they were built for for defense, but um, I mean, when we start to unpack the roster, do we want to jump into the roster? Are we are we going to be able to superimpose this over the video? Yeah. Is it something we're going to try this time? So, I mean, I know a little mm -hmm. bit about the roster. Luke, do you want to give it a breakdown? The Depends how much we want to look at Liam or Luke's face when we're doing it. Yeah, you know if, if Luke doesn't next to him. if Luke doesn't mind, his can we get a big pointy a hat for him? Gonna, <laughs> if he's going to be the high elf, we missed out here, guys. What are we doing? I didn't know we were role playing. Next time, role playing. <laughs> I like it. Um, oh yeah, Luke, go. We're already rolling in your high elf build anyway. Okay. So. Well, 
So the the, the build was uh, three catches, two blitzes, a thrower, and five line elves. Um, there was one one re-roll, no apothecary. Now, if you want to turn your mind back to episode one, I took an underworld team with 11 players, no apo. And I've done the same thing here. This is a risk that I'm comfortable with. Seems um, some success with it. I mean, it might be just something you think about. I often take an apothecary. I haven't had great success over the last 12 months. So, Well, the big VI had wood elves, no apothecary. I th- and I think my war dancers both survived every single match. So. I, th- I think sometimes with tournaments, if you compare my list to Luke's list, his risk I- uh, list, his risk is no apothecary. Mine is no re-roll. Uh, and if you sort of break it down, the risk that Luke has is that he cops three or four casualties that could have otherwise been two or three casualties. But if he's copying three or four casualties, he's probably in trouble anyway, probably yeah. not going to win the game. Same to not taking a re-roll. If I'm having to re-roll double skulls every three turns, I'm probably not winning a game anyway. So I think that's where a coach like Luke can exploit taking that 50k, putting it elsewhere and going, you know what, if I get pummeled one game, I was probably going to lose that game anyway. If I don't get pummeled, I give myself a better opportunity of winning. Yeah, I think like a key to what you're saying there is 50k yeah. more to spend on the roster. It's 50k on the pitch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's a single and a double. Yeah, which is another discriminator as to why I took high elves. They were an additional tier higher than dark elves. And if you really break down what high elves offer, it's funny actually, it's ironic. They're seen to be the wealthiest team in Blood Bowl if you read the fluff, right? But they're actually the cheapest of the elves if you look at their... Now, some will say Elf Unions are the cheapest because they've got the 60k Mm. linemen, but to exploit that, you've got to take less positionals. Where Elf Union, you've got six players that are 100k or more. Dark Elves, you've got six players that are 100k or more. Woodies, you've got three players that are 120k. High elves, you've only got two players that are above 90,000. So you've got a lot more money to spend. And when they're an additional tier higher, you've got a lot more positionals that you can take and then give what high elves really need, which is skills. Because attribute-wise or stats-wise, they're excellent out of the box. So so I noticed when you said the your team's built for defense. Yep. What did you, you know, because if they're, they're not built for fighting... So, yeah, I don't know, you've given them wrestle, strip ball. I'm not sure what you might tell With that extra that? cash, what extra skills have you got? So, each, so there's a five key positionals, your catches and your blitzes. Um, each one was built in a different capability uh, in terms of ball sacking. The first catcher, wrestle, strip ball. It goes without saying. Movement eight, edge four, um, wrestle, strip ball. Fantastic player. And the strip ball was an an awesome capability. I was going to ask about that. Did you not come against a lot of sure hands? Not, not a heap. Okay. Um, I mean, even if you do, just to keep this in consideration for a general sort of advice, is that strip ball means that you are forcing the sure hands play to carry it. Uh, in terms of a skill, so many times you'll play an orc team, you'll spill the ball and a black orc will catch it and your strength three is going to have a hard time getting it off him. But with strip ball, two dice mm. uphill. Well, my opponents were, what I have here, Kemri, so sure hands there, but Bretonians, no sure hands. Lizards, no sure hands. Nurgle, no sure hands. Humans obviously did, but Amazons, I don't think the Amazon coach took sure hands. So on the thrower, yeah. So yeah, it, it came into play. So that was the first catcher. The second catcher was wrestle and dodge. So a redundancy for the wrestle, um, and a bit more mobility and protection in dodge. Block dodge on the third catcher. 
Again, he was more built towards the offense, giving me a block dodge player to carry the ball uh, as a receiver, someone who would be left standing um, more likely. And then the the blitzes, one was obviously block out of the box, dodge and leap. The other one was dodge and tackle. So it was really covering off any way you wanted to carry the ball. There was probably a player on my team. And no stat upgrades. No stat upgrades. Who How many needs times them? did you leap? Maybe three times the whole tournament. Do you know what? The whole time. But the threat made people defend. Yeah. Yeah. It's like frenzy. It it's doesn't the, sound like a, on paper, it doesn't sound like an outstanding team. So you must just be a pretty good coach. I don't know about that. The other <laughs> capabilities that you needed to make this list work were I could, took kick on alignment. Kick is one, if not mm. the most underrated skill, yeah. in particularly for your, your fast your fast scoring teams. What, what, do you, what does that kick allow you to do? It, it means that you can... Um, almost dictate the the length of the drive. So if you've got a slow-moving team who's deep in the half, um, you kick it deep and they've got to go the length of the pitch. It means they're going to move the ball a lot quicker, take a few more risks, not cover themselves. And when you've got a team that can sack the ball like these guys can, or if you've got a long drive, you kick it short and you put the, the opposition immediately under pressure. And it, it just, it sort of, it regains the initiative for you when you're kicking the ball to them, or helps to, I guess. Did you get any blitz actions? That's one in the clock back. Yes, you got one against me. I did, <laughs> and it worked so and well. And did you do a, a <laughs> short kick as well? No, for that one, that was no, a long that kick. Was, one. I, I don't. No, to be fair, though, I don't. Cameron. I don't think you had the kicker. I think you may have lost the kicker, uh, and you, you won double wonder a dodge that <laughs> then let me escape. Um, it's nothing yeah. nicer when with my Woody. It's nothing nicer than doing a long kick into the corner against chaos or something <laughs> like that, and you get and you're just surrounding them two squares out of their own end zone. It's what about a short thing. kick and then the uh, the guy catches it? Guy yeah. catches it, you know. <laughs> get that ward answer under the ball, and he's got it for the rest of the game, yeah, no yeah. doubt. I think going back to your comment, Johnny, about the list not being anything too special. I think it, it's deceptively a very solid list. Like Luke said, there's a threat, no matter. What if you take out his wrestle strip ball? There's still another wrestle. There's leap. So if I don't watch where I put my guard, yeah. if I've got a strength three ball carrier, there's the tra- chance that I'm getting leapt into a cage. One die, ball goes free. Then elves are in their element. So I think it, it's ju- not just a testament to how well Luke played them, but also how important building a good list is to giving and your shot, uh, giving yourself a shot at winning a tournament and balanced list. Yeah, you know, yeah. like if you're relying on one or two players, like one or two yeah. war dancers and they both go down then yeah. and you're screwed in. I think that goes hand in hand with the high elf roster. Uh, really good stat line. Obviously you've got access to four movement, eight players, Luke only taking three. Uh, edge four across the board. You've got AV8 where you need them. So the players stay on the pitch a bit longer than normal elves. So. Can I touch on the AV8 part? It's an advantage that I don't think a lot of people realise. So if you have a team full of armour seven and you're dodging to avoid contact, particularly with your linemen who in this sort of format aren't going to have dodge unless no. it's their only skill. You're dodging and let's say you roll the one. You're either going to burn your re-roll or you're going to allow it to happen. And when armor seven is going down from something as simple as a failed dodge, it's obviously going to create additional casualties to what you're already taking. With armor eight, you can dodge, you can allow that to fail with a little bit more confidence and you're going to have less attrition on your team. Are you confident in sending players up and just leaving them in tackle zones? Are you reducing your dodging or are you still trying to play that elf game where, you, 
lowering AV rolls against your guys. It's certainly a consideration, but the way that I played it, I definitely was standing up, dodging out. Yeah. Definitely standing up and dodging out. Okay. I suppose the other piece that we haven't talked about is the thrower. Um, which it's the best thrower in the game? Safe throw is unbelievable. The number of times where... You just throw from wherever you want, can't you? Well, not just the intercept chance, but a lot of people don't realise that if you roll the, the anything... So it's the, the protection from a fumble. Mm. Um, if you roll, I think, anything but a natural one and it's a fumble, he retains the ball and it's not a turnover. You can take a chance at a longer throw um, with the with the added assurity that if, if it's... But is that one of those skills that you wouldn't choose? It's just the fact that he comes with it is... Exactly. I think it's like the dump off on a Dark Elf roster. You wouldn't necessarily pick it, but since it's there, the capability that it offers... Yeah, is cool. It's like um, nerves of steel on a pool oh, catcher. Yeah, yeah, yep. it's such a good skill, but typically you wouldn't it would ever have to buy roll it. a double to yeah. get it on a catcher. So, and you're probably taking guard. Yeah, mm. definitely. So, so he was great. He had leader. Um, he got block on day two to give me a running option, but didn't come into play. Did you? Every time he scored, was it a throw or just a running touchdown? Or uh, most touchdowns. I scored fifteen touchdowns for the tournament. Um, and I would have said probably 13 of them were a short pass um, in some way, shape, or form. To the catchers every time? Yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, the blitzers occasionally would take one. Mm-hmm. I think that's um, the benefit of the agility four everywhere, mm-hmm. right? You, you're so worried as the opponent, you're so worried about defending against the catchers, and they've got mm-hmm. the catch re-roll, but if you don't watch a lineman, yeah. That somehow got himself six squares away yeah. from the end zone, and it's quite easy to do with else. Yeah, he can he can catch the ball just as well as the catcher can, as long as you just don't don't roll a one. Did we at the start of this conversation talk about Luke's uh, record for the day? How many wins did you get, mate? No, I don't think so. I was five wins, and no draws in the loss to Liam. So, so what happened in the loss? What what do you think you could have done differently that you should give more advice to the high of coaches out there? to make sure you go on six and out tournaments? Um, so against Kemri, it's it's always a tough matchup. I think no matter who you are, the, the strength is, it is imposing. But I think taking calculated risks is key. Um, on reflection, I had a had a chance to, what was a four plus dodge, I think, if I remember correctly, yep. in to have a go at your ball carrier, and I yep. didn't take it. And I think to touch on that turn even more, the thing was you did a one-die block to free up that square to be able to dodge into it, and you rolled a skull, and then you re-rolled it. Mm-hmm. So for my mind, if I'm not attempting that four-plus dodge to hit the ball carrier, I'm not re-rolling the skull. It's, yeah. So I created the opportunity, Yeah. didn't take and the didn't opportunity, take and now I have a, I don't know what would have happened, what might have been. Um, what ended up happening was that he ended up scoring anyway. So even if I had have attempted it and failed it, the outcome would be exactly as it is now. But the the question mark is, what if I had have sacked the ball? Yeah. What if? So the ne- next time you will? Well, yeah, I think a four plus is a 50-50. Yeah. As much chance of success as you do failure. Sorry for those who think that's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> but, yeah. Or, or I think you don't re-roll the skull. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly and because for after, chance. after that turn, because that was for people playing along at home, that was in the first half after I had received... Uh, after that turn, I pretty much just walked away and never was really threatened, threatened for the rest yep. of the half. So that was that was a chance. And sometimes as elves, you do just get that one chance, and you have to assess whether or not, yep, this is gonna, this is the one chance, or whether 
know there's going to be another one. And, and it can be hard. It's definitely not an easy thing to go, oh, yeah, that's my chance. I'm going to do it and I'm going to get the ball because sometimes it doesn't always pan out. Like you said, sometimes you try that four and it doesn't work. The player gets injured. Suddenly I smash the rest of your team and you're like, well, I shouldn't have done that four plus. <laughs> dots, but It's uh, like when um, you've got leap on a word answer and you're just in defense, you're yeah, waiting correct. and waiting. waiting. When do I yep. do that leap? When do I do it? Do I yep. do it in turn seven? Yeah. It's um, like it's like in, I mean, you suppose you think that this game that we play is replicating sport and it's replicating that moment yeah. you're talking about is replicating that one player who's out on the pitch, he makes who the takes run. the clutch play. Yeah. And makes the sack and, and turns the tide. How many times have we seen it in sport? Yep. It's the same. Give your players the opportunity to do something awesome. Yeah. Give you. I suppose Matty Webb is is can be quoted for saying this, but give yourself the opportunity to be lucky. Yep. Whereas I didn't in that case, and it probably, uh, well, not probably, but it it certainly um, neglected a chance to well, to get that win. If you got it. It would have been down to everyone. Would just remembered it as being down to your skill, not down to you rolling a four. <laughs> it would have just been because you put well, yourself. To be, to be fair, he he did play it well in that he gave himself a one die block on the corner of my cage. He got me in a position where I was in a lot of trouble. There wasn't really much I could do. He got a one die block on the corner of the cage, and that's where I think you've got to go. Is this the only chance I'm going to get? Because after that, it was the rest of the time. The the thrower just sat in the cage. You know, four tomb guardians around and just hit anyone that came near them. So I think it particularly for for coaches who are up and developing, as you start to play higher up in the in the tiering system. So not in the tiering system in the in the table. Um, you know the Swiss matchups. You start to play against more established coaches. You're going to get less and less opportunities. So analyzing when to take that chance. Um, yeah, he's, he's it's key. a skill. Yeah, it's a skill. You'll develop it. What yeah. I really love about this conversation is. That we can have a conversation with a lot of about high elves playing Camry. I mean, how often do you hear that? Yeah. You know, like high elves versus Camry at, in, at the top table or near the top table of a tournament. So that was, that's awesome. Yeah. And so look, before we wrap up this amazing high elf build. <laughs> I don't know if it's amazing. It was um, have you anything else you'd like to tell us about it? Um, I think what for me stood out about this team was that they performed exactly how I built them to perform, if that makes sense. So I went in and I built them to a strategy. I executed the strategy. And for some reason, I got a bit lucky in certain key areas and it worked for me. And you didn't regret any skill, taking any skills and say, I wish I hadn't taken that skill? Um, yeah. The only regret I think I have is the block on the thrower on day two was probably a waste. I probably could have given myself uh, an extra capability somewhere else. Um because he just sat down by the end zone yeah. the whole I gave time. myself the opportunity to, for him to run and, and play a bit more of a running game if I needed to on day two, but didn't need it. Would you rather be able to choose your skills going into day two rather than before the tournament? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a cool aspect of the yeah. of a tournament. If you were to introduce that, like I understand that it takes a little bit more admin work, it probably allows uh, the more advanced coaches to game a little bit harder, uh, but I think it's just a, a really cool idea that it's worth considering. Would you, knowing who you were playing and getting turn or in the next game, you would that would affect? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you're at the top of the table and then there's elf, elf, pro, elf, high elf, you're taking tackle. Add that yeah. tackle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And you're, it definitely yeah. does. Yeah. So it, it, there is some area of uh, you know abuse. It's not, it's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> put me 
off it. No, come, come 2021, here. come on, we can Why didn't you just you. say no? <laughs> it would have been implemented. My skills are already <laughs> locked in. Yeah. Yeah, choose yeah. your team's no. <laughs> if, um, I had to, if I had to summarise, I would say that don't necessarily write off a team because people say they're bad or their stats are bad. You need to take them on their merit. For the last two tournaments, I've played Underworld and High Elves and gone second and first. Not something that's no. pretty common. You just, yeah, build you think, your team to a strategy, execute that strategy. and I suspect part of the reason also Hales are so unpopular is there's not a lot of great teams out there. Mm. People have to play. What team did you play? Or what? Classic GW? Yeah, third, third edition, right. proper as good as edition Hales. I, I can't admit that I painted them, but they were neatly painted and, yeah. Hard to find, though, I think, mm. to Johnny's point. Yeah, absolutely. Hard to find. And there's not a lot of third-party ones out there either. There's not, no. Not good ones anyway. No. Okay. Oh, awesome. Look, thanks a lot for that, Luke. Let's um, let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll go straight into the Blitz. Just while we're still recording, that might have been my favourite segment so far. That was actually amazing, guys. Very well done. Cool. Yeah, no, it was really Great good. stuff. Uh, welcome, welcome back to um, part two and we're just going to go straight into... The huddle, which is the next segment, and it was touched on earlier. I think it was you, um, James, touched on that when we talked about blitzing and uh, one of your pieces in particular, like to blitz. So maybe you'll lead us into this segment. Then. Yeah, yeah. So the huddle, we're going to put our heads together and hopefully come up with something good here. So um, obviously, we, we well, we're hoping to talk about the blitz. We're not. We're not talking about the. Are you devast- talking about the kickoff event here? Not the devastating <laughs> ten on the kickoff table. No, uh, that might be for a later segment. But we're talking about the blitz action once per turn, where you get to move a player before whacking one of your opponents, uh, hopefully for some, some success. And, and and why do you think this is a a topic worth talking about? It's a key strategy to the game. Uh, if you can get on top of successful blitzes, where to blitz, who to blitz. Uh, even just, I mean, different aspects of the Blitz, which we hopefully can touch on. There, there's different motivations between choosing targets and, and, and choosing uh, who you are Blitzing with. I thought this was a really good topic, and I'm just going to say something briefly, and I hope I don't touch on anything you're going to talk about. pretty sure I won't. Um, I was building a Skaven team recently, and I put horns on a gutter runner, and then I put um, a claw and mighty blow on a... A storm room and a blitzer, and also had a rattleger. And all of a sudden, I thought, "Well, hold on, I'm only going to be doing one blitz a turn. Is it really worth giving horns to a gutter runner? Because if I blitz with a gutter runner, then my mighty blow claw blitzer is potentially not going to be doing anything that turn, unless he's in the fight. So it made me really think. Hold on, how do I build this team? Because I've only got one blitz a turn. So, I mean, as Luke was saying earlier, where he's building, you know, utility blitzes, the action itself goes further than just beyond turn by turn, but we're taking this into the way you build your roster. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely, there's some things worth considering, which hopefully we can, can touch on here. Um, I guess we're also going to start the conversation uh, is two really big areas for blitzing war, which I see. Uh, one is blitzing for position, which can come down to uh, various different things, uh, such as if you're either needing to create a path for your players to run through, get closer to that, that end zone, or if you're really sort of tight squeezed and you might need to blitz out some of your opponents uh, to, fo- to form your cage, you know. Uh, it's super important that make sure that you're getting protection from all sides. So getting that blitz action right uh, can be definitely a key turn by turn. As an elf player, and look, you probably 
found that a lot during the big V that how often you're trying to just get that one hole in the line at the very beginning. Yeah. So that one blitz, maybe turn one or turn two is just so crucial. And, you know, do you need a often need a guard skill to get that to get that two dice? Absolutely. Ball? I think it, it, the blitz is such an interesting topic to talk about because it goes right back. So I the way I like to play, taking it to a personal level, the first thing I think about if I'm playing on uh, defense is can I get the ball? And nine times out of ten to get the ball, you're going to have to blitz the ball carrier. So for me, l- looking at when do I blitz, where do I blitz, who do I blitz with, uh, that's number one. I look, can I get the ball? Who am I blitzing with to get the ball? If I can't do that, then I'm taking the next step, which is what am I doing with my turn? So if my turn is to do damage, then maybe I'm going to blitz with a Claw Mighty Blow player and I don't care who I'm hitting, as long as he's hitting someone. If I want to blitz to make my opponent have to go a different way or clog up a hole that's appeared, then maybe I'm blitzing with the Horns Gutter Runner to try and take it back to your example, Johnny, because I think a lot of people do get stuck in the trap of, I've got one player that blitzes and that's it. And then they get in trouble because that one player is on the opposite side of the pitch Mm. to where the action's happening and they go, oh, well... I don't really have anyone else to blitz with now, so I better blitz with this guy and it doesn't do anything. You sort of want to look at your turn and sometimes your blitz isn't going to affect the game other than, oh, that guy left his gutter runner hanging out. I'm going to blitz the gutter runner three dice with Mighty Blow and try and hurt him and then move everyone back into position. So the first thing for me and the key thing is going to be what am I doing with my turn? What's my goal for this turn? And the way I break that down is can I get the ball? Do I need to worry about where I'm positioned this turn because I am a little bit lacking on the right side or the left side or in the middle? And maybe the answer is I just want to try and hurt someone this turn, so I'm going to hit the easiest player to hurt with my player that is doing the hurting the best. Is it dangerous to get sucked into that? Oh, there is that gutter runner or that ward answer out there that I could... It can, Yeah, it can be, and I think some people do. I know when I play rats i and when i played lizards as well i would deliberately just run skinks around in the backfield run gutter runners around the backfield to draw a blitz and then i can move down the pitch and take it back to what luke said about controlling the clock a bit and scoring i can either score in turn three or i can score in turn seven i can choose when i score if you're not blitzing the right uh, targets because there are times where all you want to do is blitz a corner of the cage and then move back a square Blitz a corner mm. of the cage, move back a square. And that just tries to, your slower teams, your dwarves, your orcs, those sort of teams, it just puts them out that little bit because suddenly they've lost three movement. Even if you don't break armor, they've lost three movement. They have to stand that player up and then they go, oh, well, I can only move him one mm. or two more squares. Then they start rolling go for it, start rolling ones on go for it, and that's how you sort of get yourself into the game. Something that obviously you touched on a bit earlier, which I think can be the difference between, say, an intermediate coach and an advanced coach. There's no beginners in Blood Bowl. You just jump straight in. You're, you're automatically <laughs> at least medium level, all right? So everyone's intermediate. But but finding those soft targets and, and maximizing those AV roles. So And there's two sort of aspects to that, whether it is finding, one, the soft targets, the AV7 or the stunty. Early on in the half, it's it's great to target those players. You really want to get that player advantage, uh, following up with hitting with your players that do the most damage. So Mighty Blow, Claw, Frenzy. Frenzy is a good one because if you're rolling those double pushes, uh, you want to be able to, to hit again, making sure you're at least getting that AV roll turn. It can be really tricky as well, getting that Frenzy right. If you, you you know you have to really think carefully about where you're going to end up for the second. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Just be confident you're going to knock people over, though. <laughs> <laughs> Why bother taking frenzy? Yeah. 
Uh, and I mean, part of that frenzy in preparing for the double push is I just wanted to sort of touch on a bit of an advanced strategy, which I see great coaches do game in, game out, but it's sort of lacking on those middle-of-the-range tables is preparing for the double push. Yeah. So what I mean by that is you can blitz a player and you want to push him into squares where your players haven't activated yet. So you can follow mm. with a further blitz on that. That way you're maximizing your blocks per turn, hopefully getting those AV rolls and, and really trying to remove your opponent's players, which isn't the most important part of Blood Bowl, uh, but you can really set the, the set the tone of the game and you can tell the difference between, as I was saying, an intermediate coach and an advanced coach in that there. Just on a slight different, one of the first things I notice, say you're playing a BB2 and against the coach, you don't know whether they're good or they're they're not bad, or they're they're bad, and how they no, they're no bad coaches. Good. <laughs> is how they set up. Say you set up your three elves side by side, and how they set up to maximize the amount of blocks, blocks. and they should be pushing your players back and forward. And yep. and the first one they'll choose straight back, and all of a sudden your player's still standing. Like yeah, I think, like I would really like to touch on this on a, on a further episode. Really get it right because it's one of those things that I see gaming game out where people could just do that fractionally bit better, mm. uh, and the coaches that do it really well uh, end up winning or beating me most of the time. So uh, hopefully we can sort of yeah. Yeah, touch on the advanced. That's a, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. What do you think about big guys and blitzes? Considering. Okay. That was one of the reasons you took your list. So James. you're going back to the first episode where I did have the Minotaur. I got to remove Wild Animal and Block, and I guess this comes down to uh, a whole summary of reliability of Blitzes. Uh, now, there's all different types of reasons why a play becomes unreliable or makes them more reliable, uh, and I'd probably like to relate this back to one of the games I played at Big V with the Minotaur. So he's got block, he's got no wild animal. Uh, I'm not too bad at moving my players around, so I'm getting three dice blitzes where I can. Um, but in the important game that I played, I mean, my only loss of the tournament against Dan's Bretonians, twice uh, the Minotaur I had a three dice blitz. Uh, one was a double push and a skull, and the other was a double skull and a both down results that weren't going to help me in the sen- any sense. So that's where the last part of unreliability comes in, and that's loner. So I, I mean, it's just adding that extra unreliability where you you really need that play to be successful for your turn to go the way that it needs to. And it turns out that I think those two turns where he let me down probably was the the, the point of the game where it could have uh, been a little bit different. So even if your player doesn't have great skills like block or removing wild animal going back to Liam's initial point of big guys something that new coaches do more often than not is rely on the big guy to blitz uh, often that play is going to let you down at crucial parts of the game so whether you're rolling that wild animal bonehead or really stupid roll loner comes into play obviously for, for not being able to re-roll the results making sure you're making the most of those uh, it's a crush that most beginner coaches lean on uh, and can be avoided. Something worth thinking about, though, is obviously most big guys do come with mighty blow. So while not a rule, blitzing with the big guys is, is can be effective. Uh, if you're looking for reliability in blitzes, you best look elsewhere. If you can get two dice with a play with block, you've got that team re-roll up your sleeve, you, you're going to be a little bit more effective. on. The- I think it comes back to knowing what you want to do for the turn, though, right? If, if I want to blitz with my big guy, uh, let's say I have wild animal or bonehead, and it's not a crucial part of the game, where if I do roll a one, yeah, it sucks, it's annoying, but it's also, okay, that's fine. 
as opposed to, oh, I lose the game now, mm. or, oh, he gets the score now. So I don't think the general rule of thumb is never blitz with the big guy or always blitz with the big guy. It's probably to be more conscious of when you do blitz it and why are you doing that blitz? Do I want to blitz with the big guy? Do I want to blitz with the Radogar to the corner of the cage to mark up the ball carrier and go, here, deal with this? Or am I just doing it because I've got no one else to blitz with? On that note, I was going to take a rat ogre with remove wild animal and not have him blitz. Just have him run around, movement six, just always stand next to a cage with his tail, just be a real pain. Well, that allows you to use your blitz elsewhere with yeah. that horn's got a runner. So, no, it's definitely definitely worth thinking about. I don't think you can necessarily worry too much about having multiple blitzes. If you draw an example from Chaos, who every player is a potential mm. blitzer, Having multiple players as threats is difficult to play against at times. Mm. And obviously, Chaos can do that because of a specific skill yeah. that, that can only be used on a Blitz, which there's a number of them, which I think we should probably touch on when speaking about the Blitz. I'd rather have too many good players to Blitz with than not enough good players to Blitz with. Mm. That's for sure. Yeah, if you're not Blitzing with a strength three with no skills, then yeah. I guess that's not, yeah. not good. As long as it's not a detriment to... The rest of the team, or as Luke said, whatever my goal and strategy is of the team, you yeah, more is definitely better in Blood Bowl as a general rule. <laughs> Going back to what Luke was saying about important skills during the blitz action, uh, the first two that come to my mind are obviously block and wrestle. Yeah. Adding that reliability for when that both down does come up, your player not falling over, not turning over. You might also be hitting a play without one of those skills. You can obviously increase your chance of, uh, of removing that player. Uh, other skills that you think are important, Luke? Yeah, well, Juggernaut is a specific skill to blitzing. You can't use it on... It's a skill rarely see. Yeah, but it's underrated, I mm. think. it re- It's a it's a really good skill. Um, having played Dark Elves, uh, and you're talking about the doubles on a, on a Elf roster, when you get a Witch that rolls doubles, a consideration is always Juggernaut. You know, with paired with Frenzy, it just creates some really cool... So, can I tell the listeners who might not be too familiar with Juggernaut how it works? Yeah, so absolutely. Juggernaut means it's a strength skill, um, and it's often, sort of most often seen on big guys that is taken as a pseudo block. So it means when they blitz, if there is a the option to take a both down, they that player doesn't necessarily go down. That can be treated as a push. It also negates skills like wrestle. It negates skills like stand firm and fend. So it means that that player is going to um, is going to push more often than not. It sounds like it goes well with frenzy. Then it does go really well with frenzy, particularly when you're moving. We talked about blitzing for position and frenzy being a key to that. When you can blitz with the confidence that the player is going to be pushed back, it can create the opportunity for damage on the sideline which is obviously uh, infinitely easier when you uh, consider how to use your blitz effectively in doing so. Okay. Liam, do you find any other skills important? We sort of touched on all of them in that one conversation. Have we, Frenzy, mentioned, we haven't mentioned horns yet. Frenzy's a really good one. Horns, yeah, horns is definitely uh, a great skill. It's, again, another one that's only applied when blitzing. Uh, gives you... You mentioned earlier, Johnny, about creating that hole, maybe needing a guard, whatever. Horns, I'm strength four or I'm strength five. I I think horns is maybe uh, a little bit underrated as well on Chaos or teams that can take mutations. But I think for me, Frenzy is probably 
my favourite one Frenzy. because I think love Frenzy, Frenzy. Frenzy can when you can play it well, you can push players from the middle of the pitch into the crowd. Uh, well, it's like leap, isn't it? It's uh, it's the threat. The, yeah. the threat yeah. of Frenzy yep. is is often yep. uh, just as effective as the skill itself. Exactly. Yeah. You want to go near the sideline? You're playing yeah, with fire. That's right. So I, yeah. I recently played a league game and um, my war dancer in the league has, has got Frenzy. Oof. But we um, we rolled a special stadium which had a soft crowd, so no one could be pushed into the crowd. <laughs> and it, my whole game plan was just ruined for that. So <laughs> my, my opponent could put his ball carrier next to the sideline. If you get pushed out, he came straight, straight back on again standing. It's a horrible cool. skill. <laughs> or horrible um, stadium. Hey, there's some other skills that um, can't be used on Blitz. So, i.e. Um, grab. Mm-hmm. Grab is an, uh, probably one of the least seen skills around the place. I think Treeman Treeman like the most to take common lot, yeah. to use it. Uh, you can't use it on a can't use it on Blitz. It's blocks only. As is multiple block. I was going to say multiple. Can't block. can't use that. Um, uh, and you have to blitz for certain skills, like um, obviously horns, kick, juggernaut, kick teammate, kick teammate. Oh, kick yep. teammate, yep, yep. And I then there's you can use it for stab. Stab. I was going to just start talking about stab. Stab is an interesting one because you don't get the full effect of a blitz because it negates any further movement. But um, yeah, running over and stabbing someone is super cool. One final thing, that, or one other thing that we haven't touched on when blitzing is that uh, those. Skills like wild animal that go from being a four plus to a two plus when you blitz, you can declare a blitz action and not actually hit yep. anyone mm. if yep. you don't want to. So if somehow your radogar or someone minotaur catches the ball off the kickoff, you can essentially waste a blitz uh, to move him down the pitch, which is something that probably very rarely comes up, but you can see it come up from mm. time to time, and it is something that a lot of people probably don't know that they can do. You can declare a blitz to the player. Like, it's and a not little hit bit anyone. of a bending of the the rule, isn't it? No, not really. You just exploitation. Have to de- you just have to declare a blitz. It doesn't say you actually have to hit anyone. The other time I've not used my blitz is not necessarily with a big guy, but when you're about to play that clutch play, and I know this is going back to taking the chance when you need to take the chance, but circumstantially, I've done this in the past. You declare the blitz, you make the risky move. Mm. If the re-roll's burnt, all right, I'm not going to throw that two yeah, dice uphill. You, you hit yeah. someone easier to hit. Or you don't yeah, hit it I'll all. go and do yeah. it somewhere else uh, yeah. because it's just not worth the risk at this point in time. So I think it's it's important to remember that when you declare the blitz, you don't necessarily have yeah. to declare the target yeah. until you've moved. Anything more on the blitz you'd like to talk about, James? Um, I guess we were touching on the skills. Probably the last one we didn't touch on is break tackle. Mm. Um, yeah. So obviously it's going to come into play with your big guys, with your strength for bull centaurs, black orts, etc., uh, we all know what it does. You use your strength instead of your agility when dodging away. Something that I would like to just quietly touch on here is an advanced use of break tackle, especially when using the blitz action. So if you're preparing for a turn, something that I like to try to do with break tackles, if I can see the ball carrier, but he's two dodges away. Uh, with that break tackler, what you can actually do is declare the blitz action, make the first dodge, if you're lucky enough to roll a six yep. or maybe a five if you only need it, not using that break tackle, uh, you can go for another another dodge out there. You can get into that cage. You can hit that ball carrier. It's really an advanced strategy. Again, that when it comes up, it really comes off and you just feel like you're playing some really good blood balls. Liam, Liam's <laughs> nodding a lot. He's, he clearly does that all the time. No, well, because I think it's something that you do see maybe less experienced people. They don't realize that 
the brake tackle only comes into effect when you actually you have to use dice. it. Yep. Yeah. And so they do roll that six and then you sit there going, oh, damn, now they can do this. And they go and do the, the thing that they thought they were going to do in the first place and not realise, oh, I didn't use brake tackle yet. I can use it again. So that's yep. that's really good advice. Bull centaurs only roll sixes, I swear to God. Picking the ball up, brake tackle. <laughs> brake tackle is a bad skill for them. They can just dodge wherever they want. If they're like, not already so. get an edge boost as well, yeah, they, they're right. a magnet for yeah, those. Yeah, and they've got so much movement, so you think you've marked them up. And the You're next away. thing, he's on the other side of the pitch yep. and he's blitzing your ball car. And it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> Clearly that's happened to me before. <laughs> and so anything more on blitz before we wrap up the huddle? Uh, plan your turn. Know, yeah. know why you're blitzing. Know who yep. you're blitzing with. Uh, have a reason for doing it. Even if that reason is just, I only want to hurt someone this turn. And it clearly yep. doesn't matter when in your turn. You know, you could be doing it the very first thing if you really need to get that hole or yep. you could be doing it at the very end when you've done everything else. Yeah. Yep. As, a, as a general rule of thumb, you probably want to move your players that don't require any dice rolls first. It's just good practice. But, uh, yeah, yeah, know, know when you want to use it and why you have to use it when you have to use it. Awesome. I think for one tiny small... Remember your ball carrier. He can blitz. He can yep. blitz himself mm. out of trouble. Don't necessarily need to free him up and then dodge. I've gone away from that strategy. Never again. Too many double skulls <laughs> rolls. So I've got a rule for myself: no blitzing with ball carriers. <laughs> nice. Unless you're marked up by a no, a regardless, skink, no, skink no, or something, no or blitzing. Got the with ball He's just going to wait for the opponent to roll double skulls. No dice. turn. No dice there. roll with ball carriers. So no you're running the ball, you need to blitz with that ball carrier. You need yeah. to just. It's definitely a power running downhill. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, look, that was a really good segment. Um, and let's start to wrap this episode up. We got a few tournaments coming up. I think James is maybe going to just talk about some of those. and So I'll shoot off some of the tournaments before we might jump into our Victorian tournament, which I might hand over to you for, Johnny. But coming up, we've got a sevens event in New South Wales, Sydney Bowl Revolution. Uh, it's an inaugural event in the uh, sevens format at GamesCube in Parramatta. I've been watching that one closely. Uh, yeah, cool. it's really good to see uh, new TOs like George uh, yeah. put his hand up, throw some events as well Doing as good Lewis. Um, good on you, George. They're really helping out Rabbit up there in New South Wales, so hopefully come 2020, 2021, they're going to get a really good tournament scene going. Mm. Uh, Western Australia have got another Sevens tournament, uh, the Sunday Sesh 2020, hosted by Watto at the Qdo Tavern. Uh, for rules and the schedule for this event and any other previously mentioned events, shoot us a message or jump on NAF. We'll get the information you need. Uh, us in Victoria, we've got uh, an event coming up, which is the Bushfire Charity Event. Yep. Uh, a couple of TOs here for that event. Uh, do you want to give us a bit of information on that one there, Johnny? You know, we all, we all know about what's happened um, in the last few weeks it's not just been having victoria it's been having new south wheels um with the bushfires it's been it's, it's been awful it's, it's affected everyone and look we're just trying to do a little bit ourselves um everyone's trying to sort of just get together um put together this tournament um liam's involved in it and all the guys in the, the podcast are, are getting involved and we're trying to keep the, the cost of injury low enough that we can get enough people to come along and Keeping a really simple rule set, um, just keep it a bit of fun. No prizes, but we have a few. We've had a few teams donate it. That were there's one up for raffle. That's the Grebo um, Nurgle Contagion team. That's up for worldwide online raffle, and the, there'll be a couple of teams and some miniatures on the day that we're going to raffle for for people who attend the tournament. And that's on Saturday, the first of February. So it's only two weeks away so by the time this episode comes out it'll be less than two weeks 
And um, yeah, hopefully we'll get um, a few people there. That should be uh, good fun. And that's at the House of Warren Ringwood, which is the same venue as um, the Big V. Great venue. And um, Great venue. yeah, so 10 o'clock on Saturday the 1st. So if you are listening to this and you haven't heard about it yet, just come along, check us out on Facebook. Again, you can get tickets on the Big V website. That's www.thebigvbloodbowl.com. And um, look, we're all going. Hopefully look can make it um, well, if, if circumstances allow the wife goes full term, maybe, but I might have a bouncing baby. But I don't know. Excellent. Well, good luck with that. I mean, yeah, just thanks. to close it out, uh, the Bushfire as well, Bushfire Charity Event, Johnny, uh, you can also, if you just want to donate to the event, you yeah. can yeah. go on the Big V website and just donate. There'll be that's a button right. there for you. So no matter where you're listening from, if you can't make it to the tournament, that's fine. You can donate, you can buy raffle tickets, or you can um, buy tickets for the event itself, all in the Big V website. Yeah, thanks for that. Okay, so I guess we're wrapping up episode two. Is there any final words from from anyone? Are we we talking crush? Yeah, gold crush is coming up. Um, we're probably going to have one more episode before it um, actually happens. So we'll probably discuss it a bit further in the next episode. Um, but that's the first, I guess, major tournament in the Victorian calendar. Yep, Sunday the twenty third of February. It's at Guff in Ballarat. Unfortunately, we're currently at capacity. We're we're at a there's not enough space for any more coaches. So. Uh, In fact, we've actually, there's actually a waiting list at the moment. Okay. Yes, which, awesome. is, which is good. So Vic Blood Bowl is coming up about. Question on that. Is that going to be the first of Vic Masters 2020? It will be, yes. yes. And as a fun fact for those playing along at home, when the spreadsheet for Vic Masters was first created, we didn't put enough names on there. So it was really fantastic to have to add columns to be able to fit in the amount of people that came to Vic tournaments uh, mm last year so hopefully we can get even more people along to uh even more tournaments this year would be fantastic yeah be awesome and for those listening at home obviously if you make it down to gold crush we can't wait to see you You know if if we don't know you introduce ourselves and uh yeah we're looking forward to meeting you and hopefully um a member of the podcast will win (laughs) maybe we'll um maybe we can win um every tournament this year (laughs) and then we will actually be legends (laughs) not just (laughs) self-proclaimed legends (laughs) and so look i think that's that's us for this episode um i'd like to thank everyone um i'm johnny i'm I'm gonna say goodbye cheers guys yeah thanks for having me guys it's great thanks uh thanks for listening guys and again if you've got any questions about upcoming tournaments or anything blood bowl please reach out to us we are here to communicate with you guys let us know what you want to hear about now we'll see if we can get some some good content coming up yeah, gents, it's, it's been a pleasure sharing the studio for, with you guys today, first time for 2020. I'm really excited about the commitment for an episode a month this year. It's going to be awesome. As I started uh, by saying that it's awesome to have our guest join us, I just want a special thanks to Liam Nubbs Nelson, who's, who's joined us today. Um, we are really blessed to have such an awesome community we can draw from, and we're looking forward to having more people from that community join us. So, Liam, thank you. Thanks, Liam. Thank you. That was thank awesome. You. And, uh, yeah, tune in. Guys, because we'll be recording one a month, so stay tuned for episode three. Very exciting. Take it easy. Awesome. Is there an outro song? I can't remember. That's it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>